<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump builds a wall. He builds a wall of lies. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go. Middle of the week. It is Wednesday. Wednesday, January 9, the morning after uh, the most pathetic and embarrassing speech ever from the Oval Office by any president of the United States, a speech that was uh, unnecessary, a speech that was full of lies, a speech the networks never should have carried because it was nothing but political propaganda and fear-mongering on the part of the president. We learned nothing except the fact that he is as big a liar as we thought that he is and we've known him to be. Good to see you today. Thank you so much. We'll take you uh, through the speech, through the lies, through the response on the part of Nancy Pelosi, Democratic leaders Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And, of course, there is other news of the day. Uh, Paul Manafort, we have, boy, this got lost in all the talk about last night's speech. We've got the Russian connection. We've been looking for it. Donald Trump denied there ever was one. Robert Mueller is still charging ahead. But already we've got the Russian connection in Paul Manafort, campaign chairman, sharing Trump polling data with Russian intelligence. Bingo, put the whole bunch of them in jail, starting with Donald Trump. Uh, that and a whole lot of other news today we'll bring to you and look forward to hearing from you. Your comments on all the all the above. Come on, we know you watched the speech. We know you watched the response by uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. And can't wait to jump in, but first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, I can't remember if we've ever talked about this. Were you ever a smoker? Did you ever smoke cigarettes? No. All right. 
Well, I tried once when I was a teenager. But you didn't a, inhale? In a hotel room <laughs> in New York City. I might have been 14. And, and that I, was the one time you tried a cigarette? I hated it, and I thought, why am I going to do this? Well, uh, a lot of people used to smoke. In fact, back in 1965, the National Center for Health Statistics began tracking tobacco use. And at that time, again, 1965, 42% of U.S. adults were cigarette smokers. 42%. These days, they just released the new numbers for 2017. Yeah. The figure had dropped to an all-time low. 14%. Only wow. 14% yeah. actually of, of U.S. adult Americans still smoke cigarettes. Now, part of this study that they uh, released did have a couple of negative stories in it. For example, if you are affected by poverty, you are more likely to be a smoker. People of color are more likely to be smokers and other problems. But as a whole, overall, we are breaking our addiction in nicotine. As uh, a I think that is great. I'd like to know geographically where. where yeah, where. that's a good point. Look, there are still a lot of smokers in the South. I yeah, can tell you yeah, that for sure. Yeah. For damn sure. You know, I remember back at the end of 2017, I did a story about a new restaurant that was opening up in Paris, France called Au Naturel. Mm-hmm. And it oh, was yeah, the, where you... Remember that? Right. It was the first nudist restaurant. <laughs> you could go in, you could have your meal, and nobody is wearing clothes. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, Bill, it's closed down. It I'm closed down due to lack of customers. Nobody wants to go eat around a bunch of other naked people. We've talked about this before. There's yeah, good I, naked and there's bad naked. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a place to be naked and there's a place not to be naked. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I don't need to be naked when I'm eating my dinner, and I certainly don't want no. you or anybody else to be naked around me while I'm eating dinner. The owners had to close it up. Uh, they said, yeah, we just weren't getting enough customers. People were not coming in. I guess the desire to eat nude around other nude people was not strong enough to keep it going. So rest in peace, au naturel. Uh, plus, you know, food spills in that situation could get really messy. Don't order know? the soup. No, don't order the don't soup. Don't order the soup. You don't want to <laughs> spill that. This is the Bill Press Show. From Donald Trump last night, we got just what we expected. Nine minutes of lies, blaming Democrats, and spreading fear. Why did the networks feel compelled to allow that on our television screen? What do you say, everybody? Happy Wednesday. It is a big Wednesday, January 9. Here we are, the Bill Press Show, together again. Good to see you today, and it's uh, great to have you with us as we romp through the headlines of the day, starting with, of course, the president's address from the Oval Office last night, and then the response by Democratic leaders Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Uh, Neither one of them really telling us anything new, uh, but stating the case for and against Donald Trump's wall. Uh, What I think one thing that got lost in the whole thing was we are in the middle of a shutdown, day 19 now of a shutdown, which is having uh, an incredibly harmful impact uh, directly on 800,000 federal workers and their families spread across the nation. 
indirectly on millions and millions more Americans. Uh, and so we'll bring up to date on the news of the day as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, podcast, podcast, podcast. You know you're getting more and more into podcasts. Put us on your list. Go to BillPressShow.com. Sign up for our podcast and um, let us know what you think about it. We want to hear from you and we want you to be part of that Bill Press podcast family. Uh, we're joining on the radio in uh, Indiana statewide on Indiana Talks. And hello, Chicago, Chicago and the greater Chicago area on WCPT and all across this great land of ours. Uh, if you've uh, part of the DirecTV network, we are there with you on Free Speech TV. How about it? Yes, indeed. Uh, first of all, just just before we dive into the news of the day, uh, do you know what the um, Peter, your best the best place in the country to uh, to work, have a job? Um, in terms of what, like the job market or just general happiness? I mean, the ha- yeah, the best place for happy, happiest employees. Maybe if you're an employee, where you would really like to work more than any any place. A, a very well known company. Uh, I'll give you a hint. A company that's very well known, particularly to the Bill Press Show. Um. Oh gosh, <laughs> I I don't know. Um, All right, I'll give you another hint. Give me another hint. Bernie Sanders. Oh, Ben and Jerry's? Ben and Jerry's. Really? New York Times reports this morning, get this, right? Everyone who works at Ben and Jerry's in Burlington, Vermont, is entitled to three free pints of ice cream for every day of work. (laughs) I was waiting for you to say like a month. Every Every day? Every day, three pints of ice cream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, that's average dangerous. W- the average weight of Ben and Jerry's employees? No, I don't yeah, have that. Yeah, that could be bad. That could be bad. Three pr- pints a day? Don't eat three pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream a day. No, no. I, we I, want to be very clear about that. Even <laughs> our good friends Ben and Jerry would not recommend They it, would right? tell you not to do But that. you can give it to friends. Sure. You know? Yeah. You, yeah right. You'd be very popular in your neighborhood. Right. But, you know, I'll tell you one thing. They don't, like a lot of companies, they have problems with people like stealing pencils, right, or stealing pens or, yeah. or pads or stuff. No. Nobody steals anything at Ben & Jerry's because you're- Take all you want. You're allowed to walk out with three pints a day. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that, like, you know, uh, you talk to people who work in restaurants, right? It's like, oh, you work yeah. on all this great food all the time. That must be great. It's like, no, we don't ever get to eat it. Right. But, like, Ben & Jerry's, you work around great ice cream. Don't you think? Yeah, maybe you won't. Maybe you don't want it as much when you know you can have as much of it as you want. Anyhow, I think that's great. Yeah, that's wonderful. Can't, can't wait to get them back in again. Yeah, and we gotta admit, unlike almost every other guest on our program, Ben and Jerry never arrive without bringing the goodies. That's true. They bring the ice cream every time. They don't bring three pints for each of us. Uh, uh, no. Which, no. frankly, I think is uh, oh, something we're going to have to address with Mr. Cohen. Was <laughs> Ice cream for breakfast, man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't knock it till you I try it. I love it. it. Uh, uh, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, let's not forget. Let's put this in context as we talk about the speech. Because this got lost last night, I believe, in the television commentary, in the speech, and in the rebuttal. Although, more in the rebuttal than in Donald Trump's speech. We are in the middle of a serious harmful government shutdown. This is day 19 of the shutdown. And the essence of the shutdown, what it's all about, is uh, that Donald Trump is shutting down the government until he can force 
Congress to fund a wall that he promised us we would never have to pay for. I think that sums it all up. That's what's so bad about what's going on, and that's what we have to keep in mind. The shutdown. There is no reason on God's earth why we can't debate the wall while still keeping the government running at the same time. The idea that these two are tied together is due to one man alone. It is Donald Trump. In this case, it's certainly not Democrats in Congress. To a certain extent, it's Republicans in Congress because they won't stand up to Donald Trump, but ultimately it is Donald Trump who says, no, government. Government will not reopen until I get what he's asking now, $5.7 billion for his wall and another $7 billion for other stuff like new electronic tracking or more judges or more beds uh, for holding immigrants or kind of whatever. So he's actually asking a total of uh, $12.7 billion and insisting on keeping the government shut down uh, with federal employees this week not getting a paycheck. It's not going to be resolved by Friday. They're not going to get a paycheck by Friday. Insisting on that until he gets his way on the wall. Now let's get to the speech last night. You know, you got to start out with this. He looked and sounded horrible. So bad. He, I mean, boy, that was not a presidential level experience at all. It's said that he initially resisted doing this and didn't want to do it. Well, he was right about that because <laughs> this was certainly not a good forum for him. I thought, I mean, the the thing opened up with his just staring in front of the ca- at the camera. There was a... There was a little bit of lag time. Yeah. Right? When little, the cameras went yeah. on him, he, he was not ready to get going quite yet. I was going, you know, because I do TV, right? I was ready to go, 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 go. The red light's on. He go, the go. Producer Start talking. Right. To go. The producer in me was coming out. And then he just squinted at the camera and he was so, his cadence was so slow the way he talked and he read it word for word and he, even the first sentence he blew a little bit. I mean, I didn't, you know, it just tripped it up a little bit. My fellow Americans, tonight I am speaking to you because I'm there is a growing humanitarian you. and security crisis mm-hmm. at our southern border. And I thought, <laughs> oh man, it's downhill from here. You know, but I, it's just, that's how he started. That's how he started. Somebody said last night he had the cadence of a Wheel of Fortune uh, contestant <laughs> trying to figure out. <laughs> out a puzzle or something you know a word you know uh, yeah what, so, uh, so we we've done this show for long <laughs> enough and there was a period of time that we said these oval office addresses were not great for barack obama and it's it frankly it's pretty tough to pull off you've got it no is. audience you've got no energy to feed off of you know you don't know who you're talking to it's the hardest thing to do it's very hard i can Compared tell you Compared to donald trump Barack Obama knocked it out of the park. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, at least, you know, you knew Barack Obama was familiar with the script, familiar with the topic, uh, knew what he was saying, knew what he was talking about with Donald Trump. It was just wrote and it was reading it. So i uh, got to say, he really looked bad. Plus, he said absolutely nothing new. We said yesterday morning uh, we could write the rebuttal uh, and the fact check the speech ahead of time because we knew what he was going to say, and sure enough, he did. 
He left a couple of things out. He didn't repeat the uh, claim that 4,000 terrorists uh, came across, 400,000 terrorists, I'm sorry, came across the border when it turned out to be only six. Uh, he didn't repeat that claim, which Sarah Huckabee Sanders did uh, last Sunday. And Mike Pence did, too, by the way. Um, he didn't repeat the claim that four previous, uh, four former presidents all said they wish they had built a wall and they totally supported the wall. He didn't repeat that because everybody knows that was a lie. But still, there was nothing new uh, at all. He repeated some of the same lies that he said. And the lies just piled on and on. I got to tell you, the busiest people last night were the fact checkers. Yeah. Uh, one fact checker, let's start with Fox News. Okay. This is a little long here, but here is Shep Smith comes up right away. And the first thing he does was saying, not everything the president said uh, holds up. He made a number of claims there, uh, speaking specifically about uh, murder rates among those who are undocumented immigrants. The government statistics show that there is less violent crime by the undocumented immigrant population than by the general population. There you go. He called it a crisis of the heart and soul. He talked about drug crossings over the border, but government statistics show much of the heroin actually comes not over the unguarded border, but through ports of call. Uh, he talked about undocumented crossings over the past the past months. In fact, the number of undocumented crossings over the southern border has been steadily down over the last 10 years. Good point. And the government reports that there is more outward traffic than inward traffic. As for the trade deal he mentioned with Mexico, which he said would pay for the wall, that trade deal is not yet complete. Uh, and the president yeah. said that uh, law enforcement professionals have requested the $5.7 billion. It's he who requested it, and it's he who said he would own the shutdown. There you go. Right. And right. by the way, by the, good job, fraction. Shep. That's just a fraction of Shep. We had to cut him oh, off yeah. just in the interest of time, but Shep yeah. went on and on and on and on and on, fact checking right. the president. So let's listen to some of, the, things that, uh, some of the, the lies that Donald Trump said. First of all, he said thousands and thousands, every day, I, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are pouring across the border. Every day, Customs and Border Patrol agents <laughs> encounter thousands of illegal immigrants trying to enter our country. We are out of space to hold them, and we have no way to promptly return them back home to their country. Well, the actual numbers are, uh, by the way, uh, that on every day uh, last year, so uh, the, the, the figures that in, I saw, I uh, did a little research last night. In 2008, there were 1.6 million people apprehended crossing the border. Last year, 10 years later, there were a total of 400,000 apprehended crossing the border. From 1.6 million down to 400,000, which amounts to 1,087 a day. That is not thousands and thousands and thousands a day. Just for the record, uh, Mr. President. Uh, Shep Smith indicated this, Peter, this was the last clip we had of Donald Trump, where he said that basically saying, this wall wasn't my idea. Law enforcement people begged me to build it. Law enforcement professionals have requested $5.7 billion for a physical barrier. At the request of Democrats, it will be a steel barrier rather than a concrete wall. This barrier is absolutely critical to border security. Uh, double lie. Double lie. Now, as Chef Smith pointed out, 
This didn't come from law enforcement officials. That's a 15-second clip. He's got two lies in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we <laughs> we remember whose idea the stupid wall was. Donald Trump, candidate Donald Trump, the whole the whole thing, right? And then the idea, so, so he's only doing this because law enforcement people ask him to do it, lie number one. Number two, Democrats did not request steel barrier wall. They don't want a wall. They're right. They don't want a wall. The wall will not solve our problem, period. No concrete wall, no steel barrier wall. And so he's the one who said, oh, if they don't like concrete, then I'll just, I'll do it in steel. But yeah, we played that clip yesterday. It wasn't Democrats who asked her that. I mean, these are these are big, big lies on the part of Donald Trump. Um, I'll tell you, here's the one that bugs me the most, that I really find offensive. And that's when he talked about how much blood has been shed because of murders committed by illegal aliens, as he called them. Um, And he talked about meeting with the families. Over the last several years, I've met with dozens of families whose loved ones were stolen by illegal immigration. I've held the hands of the weeping mothers and embraced the grief stricken fathers so sad so terrible and yet again i think chef smith pointed this out the fact is sure there are some people who are here illegally who have committed crimes some of them heinous crimes uh the facts are that most of the uh those here illegal undocumented um people here uh, who have committed crimes, have committed nonviolent crimes, the vast majority of them, maybe a speeding ticket or something. But also to single them out and say it's because of these four or five crimes that he mentioned, therefore we have to have a wall on the southern border. Um, you notice Donald Trump never said, for example, uh, I remember Las Vegas where 58 people were killed by American Stephen Paddock. Uh, I remember Orlando where 49 people were killed at the Pulse nightclub by American Omar Macera. Uh, I remember Sandy Hook where 20 first graders and six school administrators were killed by Adam Lazar. I remember a Parkland High School in Florida where 17, 14 students and three teachers were killed by Nicholas Cruz. No, no, no. Donald Trump never mentions that. By uh, Americans. Never mentions the heinous crimes committed by Americans as a reason for doing anything about guns. But he can drag up and stoke fear in the hearts of Americans on the part of five heinous crimes committed by people who were here illegally and say that's got to be the reason for... Uh, cracking down and building this wall at the border. It's totally despicable that he would go there uh, and um, and and try and use that to make the case. Yeah, you want to talk about crimes, do something about crimes committed by Americans with um, assault weapons uh, in this country, Mr. President. Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi followed with their rebuttal. Um, I got to say it wasn't their best moment on television either. Uh, but they did make the point, Nancy Pelosi saying this is just dragging this shutdown on again. At least Pelosi and Schumer tried to get the focus back on the
the shutdown, uh, Nancy, why this shutdown dragging it on is just plain wrong. He promised to keep government shut down for months or years, no matter whom it hurts. That's just plain wrong. Uh, and Chuck Schumer said, how do we get out of this mess? We got the answer right here. We got a bill. How do we untangle this mess? Well, there's an obvious solution. Separate the shutdown from arguments over border security. There is bipartisan legislation supported by Democrats and Republicans to reopen government while allowing debate over border security to continue. Yeah, they've got this. And by the way, this is a bill that passed the Senate. This is a bill that has now passed the House. Identify all that we've talked about it before. Reopen the government. Eight out of nine agencies that have nothing to do with border security, open them, period. Department of Homeland Security, which is related to border security, uh, then uh, keep them going for a month while negotiations continue over what to do about the border. Uh, that's the uh, that's the best solution. That's a fair solution. That's a bipartisan solution. Uh, you could get it. You could get it through Congress if Mitch McConnell would allow. Certainly through the House if Mitch McConnell would allow a vote in the Senate, it would pass the Senate. Uh, but Donald Trump says he won't sign it, and Mitch McConnell doesn't have the balls to call for a vote unless Donald Trump tells him ahead of time. It's okay, Mitch. It's okay, Mitch. By the way, in the Senate yesterday. One more Republican senator spoke up, Lisa Murkowski, joining Susan Collins uh, from from Maine, Cory Gardner from uh, Colorado, and Tom Tillis, of all people, from North Carolina, Uh, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, joining in to say she wants to end the shutdown. She wants to vote on that bill. So it's a very small number, but still a little crack in the ice over there on, on on the Senate side. Um, But not everybody in the Senate is uh, abandoning Donald Trump. Certainly not his kiss-ass, number one kiss-ass in the Senate, Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. This is the most presidential I've seen President Trump. It was compelling and everything he said was true. (laughs) Yes, King, that's so good. He just doesn't care anymore. He just doesn't care. No. So I bet he picked up the phone right after that and said, now, Donald, can I have another lunch at the White House? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. When we go play golf again. Or right? can we, yeah, when can we play golf again? Mm-hmm. Remember. We had a nice weather day out here yesterday. We, we should go out there and hit the links. Oh, God, it's so it's disgusting. By the way, one other lie i got to mention is that Donald Trump uh, said last night that uh, he didn't say Mexico's going to pay for it directly, but he said we got this trade deal we got a new trade deal with Mexico, and that's going to pay for the wall now. Uh, and, and Mike Pence repeated this in a little exchange with Jonathan Carl from uh, uh, from ABC News. You can hear Mike Pence trying to wiggle out of this, and he just can't do it. He said over and over and over again, Mexico's going to pay. That's right. And the president renegotiated. Uh, the NAFTA agreement, now the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, in a way that will benefit the United States of America in jobs and tax revenues in the hundreds of billions of dollars a year to come. He said Mexico and, was going to And we've pay also, for it. John, we've also negotiated a new arrangement with Mexico going forward. Uh, yeah, right. But the trade deal doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Donald Trump has proposed it. It hasn't passed this, the Congress. I doubt that it will pass this Congress, but until it does, it doesn't kick in, 
and it doesn't contain anything about paying for the stupid wall. It's you just know, a big lie. I don't want to be labeled a cynic, Bill, but I'm starting to get the idea that this new deal that they've put together with Canada and Mexico was concocted um, and not very well thought out purely because they needed some way to say, oh, yeah, Mexico's going to pay for it. Yeah. And that's that's like the only reason that they went down this path, right? It's not about NAFTA was bad mm-hmm. or we're going to fix the problems with our trade. It was purely because they needed somewhere to put the like, – to say when people said, "Oh, you said Mexico was going to pay for it," now you're not. Right. They needed something to point to. Yeah, and now I, they've got I, it. Yeah, you know, I buy that theory. Right. Uh, it is just it is totally bogus. By the way, one other important thing yesterday, I, I thought in terms of uh, Democrats really standing up here and 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 hanging tough, is that uh, in the Senate yesterday there was a bill that would have passed easily, readily, with bipartisan support of uh, for foreign assistance, foreign aid to countries in the Middle East, including Israel. They always just sail through. Not that they should, but they always do. Uh, yesterday, uh, Senate Democrats refused to vote for that. And holding the line, as Chris Van Hollen has put a group of Democrats together, almost all Democrats now signing on to this, saying, no, we're not going to vote for anything until we reopen the government. We're just not going to pretend this is business as usual when we have such an urgent matter as the government shut down in front of us, uh, and uh, Democrats blocked that bill yesterday. Good for them. Good for them. Hey, there was oh, one final point on the shutdown. Uh, Jackie Spear and Jared Huffman, uh, two good friends from California. Uh, Jared Huffman happens to be my congressman from where we live in California in Marin County. Uh, they have uh, major national parks uh, in their district. Point Reyes National Seashore is one of them. This is where we live in Inverness, California. So uh, Jared Huffman and Jackie Spear uh, picked up some trash from the national parks in their districts in California, brought them back here uh, on, uh, in, uh, on and when they flew back, brought it with them, took them down, delivered it to the White House yesterday. Here's a Jared Huffman saying, Mr. President, got a present for you. Let it never be said that I, I didn't give anything to Donald Trump because today... I'm bringing uh, boxes of trash. Yes, boxes of trash. And he's saying, hey, Mr. President, wake up and smell the diapers. What we need is for President Trump to wake up and smell the coffee cups and the diapers and the burrito wrappers and the trash that is piling up. And soon we'll have enough of it to build a wall, perhaps. But uh, it's a real problem. You know what? They ought to just fill that that two-block stretch of Pennsylvania Avenue between 15th and 17th in front of the White House. Members of Congress, the American public, they ought to take the trash from the National Mall, right? Yeah. Just take it over there and dump it in front of the White House. Yeah. Build a wall of trash. You made this mess. Right. Now clean it up. Exactly. I love love that idea. Uh, There was other news. we got to say that. I mean, let's take a minute here to talk about Paul Manafort. Yeah. The Russian connection, the Russian connection, we sort of lost track of this, right? But we got it. No doubt about it. We've seen all kinds of signs of it. I saw yesterday somebody said there are 16 people now identified around Donald Trump who admittedly, with all kinds of evidence we have, were in connection with Russians, from Jeff Sessions to Jared Kushner to 
Donnie, Donnie Jr. to Paul Manafort. Manafort, beyond anything that we knew until yesterday when he was charged by Robert Mueller with actually giving polling, he was chair of the campaign, remember, giving polling data from the Trump campaign, the 2016 campaign against Hillary Clinton, giving that polling data to Russian a Russian intelligence official. I mean, bingo, you're looking for the link? There it is. Uh, Congressman uh, Adam Schiff, in, uh, now chair of the House Intelligence uh, Committee, uh, says that how significant this is. We learned today that part of the information that Manafort was apparently willing to provide the Russians involved Trump campaign polling data. Why on earth would the Russian government want Trump campaign polling data? Uh, and why would Manafort lie about it? Yeah, good questions. Uh, Schiff continues, how much of this stuff did he give to the Russians and what do they use it for? We know the Russians were deeply involved in trying to influence American voters. Um, was that the purpose? Was it the purpose to show Donald Trump's viability or was it some other purpose? We simply don't know. No, but we'll find out from Robert Mueller and uh, my, uh, my hunch is that we will find out from the House Intelligence Committee because I think they may be doing some little investigation of their own into this matter now that Democrats are in charge. So, boy, what a big news day. Look forward to getting your comments on the uh, uh, issues of the day, particularly starting with the speech and the rebuttal to the speech last night. Rebecca Entralgo joins us next to walk us through the reality uh, at the border. Congressman Dan Kildee from Michigan joining us a little bit later, and then Adam Walner from McClatchy News. We got it covered with your help. A quick break, and we'll be right back and continue with this Wednesday edition of The Bill Press Show. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Wednesday, January 9th, Hello, folks. Good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us here on the Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. With the support today of the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard, United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired uh, members. First, Donald Trump wants to put them to work building steel wall. Not a concrete wall anymore, a steel wall all along the border. Uh, check out the website. Of, don't hold that against the steel workers, but uh, check out their website at usw.org. Join me in welcoming to the studio Rebecca Entralgo from Think Progress, who covers all things border and immigration related. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy nice New Year to, to you, see too. You. Good to see you. Uh, and uh, we've been really at it uh, here for <laughs> the last half hour or so. Uh, and not alone, Peter. Yes, indeed. Lots of comments out there on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. KG points out that talking about the wall and the shutdown are Trump's best distractions from Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller, yes. I'm not sure that I'm willing to give Trump enough credit. I think he'll talk about anything, you know, at any time. But uh, uh, Tom points out, and this is true, But you notice he hasn't... uh talked about Robert Mueller in at least a week, maybe more. Right. Uh, Tom says, and and as I mentioned, this is true because there was uh, some stuff that went out right after the speech. This speech was nothing more than a fundraising event. Donald Trump immediately tried to start raising money off of the wall uh, when he started, uh, or or after he finished by, by sending out a fundraising effort. 
Uh, also, uh, Peter says, has anybody done a survey of the 800,000 federal employees to see who they blame for the shutdown? Uh, I have not seen any kind of poll that says that. No, but there was a Reuters poll yesterday that showed overwhelmingly the American people blame Donald Trump yeah. and Republicans yeah. for the shutdown. Yes. It's hard not to. I mean, yeah. When he, he said says, he wanted it. When he says, I want to do it, when he says, I want to own it, when it's called the Trump shutdown, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard not to. One of my friends said he was uh, jealous of the new House Democrats getting so much attention, uh, you know, oh, you when know they got uh, totally. uh, inaugurated into Congress. So he just like started this like shut down or he kept talking about the wall and wanted to do this big, you know, address because he wanted some more attention on him. <laughs> I totally see that. I <laughs> no, totally no, no. see that. Him, 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 him. Yeah, right? yeah. By the way, if you have any comments on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show. BP Show. You got it. So um, Donald Trump, he started out last night, uh, Rebecca, Mm -hmm. talking about the flood, absolute flood, the tsunami of immigrants crossing the border. Here he is. Every day, Customs and Border Patrol agents encounter thousands of illegal immigrants trying to enter our country. We are out of space to hold them and we have no way to promptly return them back home to their country. Uh, So basically he's saying there are more people flooding across than ever before. Right. What's the truth? Oh, well, that's that's not true. Uh, Border crossings between ports of entry have been down for the, since like the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Um, You know, they've been, you know, gradually decreasing every year. Within the past two years, I believe they've been lower than the past, you know, years before that. So, you know, that's just not true. The, The border crossings are down. Um, and, you know, I'm not the only person to ever say this, but, you know, the only crisis that exists at the border is one that he created himself. You know, there, there is a crisis at the border, but it's because asylum seekers can't get, you know, can't get through and apply for asylum. They're only letting in a couple of people a day. Um, there's, you know, long lines of waiting for weeks and months. So that's, you know, that's my, my biggest takeaway is that, you know, the only crisis that exists is one that he really created. Right. I mentioned a little bit earlier there were in 2008, there were 1.6 million people apprehended at the border mm-hmm. last year total of 400,000. Sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And, and and part of those are people who come over, you know, overstay visas or I'm sorry, uh cover um across the northern border. We have a northern border as well. Um and you know, they don't just all come from the southern border of the US. Um he did not repeat this last night, but it has been part of the Repub- of the administration mm-hmm. talking points about the number of people on the terrorist watch right. list. Um, Mike Pence talked about this, mm-hmm. um, 400,000, I think. Yes, 4,000, I think, I believe. 4,000, and, mm-hmm. 4, and um, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders mm-hmm. talked about it, too. Mm-hmm. Again, what's the reality? Oh, I think it was about six. NBC News said it was about uh, uh, six. Even They're not even known. They were suspected. They were still on the suspected list. But yeah, they, but being they, on the watch list does yes. not mean you've committed an act yes, of terrorism. Yes, and I, I believe the NBC News story, they, they talked uh-huh. to um, uh, a Customs and Border Patrol uh, worker who said that, you know, or no, an intelligence officer who said, you know, it's my job to know where all the terrorists are, and there's no one that comes through the southern border who's, you know, a terrorist. So, right. um, you know, that's just inflated numbers to the max <laughs> on all this. And of the of the population, the undocumented population of those here illegally in the United States, um, 
not all of them come across the southern border. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah. Like I said, there are people who overstay visas. Isn't, um, th- isn't that the biggest? That is the biggest. Yeah. The biggest amount of uh, documented. How does uh, a wall stop them? <laughs> you, you, he should tell me. He should tell the American people because I would love to know. Um, and, you know, again, same thing with, um, you know, a wall doesn't stop a lot of things. A, law, a wall, wall doesn't stop drugs. That was another thing, you know, he mentioned he he brought in uh, the opioid crisis and tried to blame it on, um, you know, the the uh, the border crisis and brought in, um, uh, you know, saying saying that the opioid crisis is worse among African-Americans, worse among Hispanics, you know, trying to, you know, bring them into it and say, you know, this is this is this, this problem affects you, too. But, you know, the the drugs that come into the United States come through ports of entry. Um, well, that that's what I want to get to. Yeah. Is that People who scale the wall or who come across the Rio Grande Mm -hmm. somehow, who get in Mm -hmm. illegally, Mm -hmm. not at ports of entry, Yes, they hardly are carrying... Boxes and boxes no, it's of impossible. illegal drugs, right? <laughs> they're, yeah, mean, they're they're coming. They're you know they're in the bed of a truck. They're in you know they're they're smuggled mainly on ve- in vehicles that come through ports of entry and you know CBP agents. You know they they find a lot of drugs that come through, much less than what the president um, you know says. But they do stop you know and seize methamphetamines, cocaine, marijuana that comes through ports of entry, which would not be stopped by a wall. Meaning, as you say, in cars or trucks? Yes, in cars, in in vehicles mostly, because it it would be impossible for a single, you know, person to, you know, carry, I mean, if you strapped drugs to yourself, you can only carry so much. It's not the, it's not the millions of pounds that the, you know, administration suggests it was. Don't I know it. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, so the, the the case the president made last night just basically is 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 hollow and full of and full of lies. Um, do you think he changed any votes last night? No, I, I don't. And and there was a, a quote from a from a political person. I, I don't remember who exactly it was, but you know the point of these presidential addresses is to calm a frightened nation. And and it was the opposite. You know, I think he frightened a calm nation. There are surely people out there who believe that there is a crisis on the border. They probably don't live in border states, um, but they do. You know, there are people out there who you know avid Trump supporters who believe there is a crisis. But the vast majority of people, you know, don't really believe that and don't really believe that a wall. You know, in billions, you know, five billion is what he's asking for, but it would cost way more than five billion to build the wall. Um, they don't believe that that money would be is worth it um, and don't believe that it would be helpful in stopping anything. Um, and I don't think he really changed any votes. I think a lot of people, you know, who are watching Ellen DeGeneres and then, you know, had her game show and watched uh, was interrupted by the president. I, I think they kind of watched it for the nine minutes was like. Okay, and then went back to watching their <laughs> went back to watching their show. I don't. I'm not necessarily sure that you know. I called my mom, who who um, she was a registered Republican when she was uh, married. When she got divorced, she <clears throat> was a really big Obama fan, and she doesn't really vote that often. I I asked her, and I was like, "Did you watch?" She was like, "Yeah, I was watching TV." I don't. She's like, "I really didn't have a choice." <laughs> it sort of came on, and I asked her. I was like, "What do you think?" And she was like, it "Seemed like lies to me." And I was like, "I think you're right." <laughs> and I tried to you know sort of walk her through, and she was like, "Yeah, I didn't buy any of it." So. Right. Uh, you know, he did use, uh, as someone as someone pointed out, um, presidents use these uh, Oval Office addresses to address the nation in time of crisis. Mm-hmm. He's the first one to address the nation in time of a crisis that he himself had created. Right. <laughs> was, right. Yeah. Exactly. And manufactured. Exactly. Uh, and and use that actually to to maybe throw more fuel on the fire. Mm-hmm. And this one thing I, I believe that got a little lost last night in all the talk about the wall and his arguments for why we need the wall and and 
what the wall would accomplish is that this occurs in the middle of a government shutdown. Right. 19 days now we're in Mm -hmm. this shutdown. It will soon be the longest shutdown in history. It is a Trump shutdown. Mm -hmm. He is the one who has insisted he will not uh, do anything to reopen the government until he gets his down payment of Mm $5.7 billion on Mm -hmm. this wall. Uh, So to what impact is the government shut, what impact is the government shutdown having on the border? Well, so the biggest impact is that because the immigration courts are part of the Department of Justice, the immigration courts are at a standstill. Um, there are two types immigration of... Immigration courts, not yes. ports. I thought yeah, you said no, port. sorry, yeah, courts, courts um, yeah. are at a standstill. And so there are two types of cases, detained and non-detained. So um, the cases for... The court cases for um, detained immigrants who are in, uh, in a government custody, those are still ongoing. But the vast majority of courts that, uh, cases that go through the immigration courts are non-detained. So they're people who are here on a work visa, people who are um, uh, trying to claim their child in the United States and want, you know, saying that that's a valid reason they want to go live with them. There are, you know, millions and millions of these cases and immigration lawyers can't get anything, um, can't get anything, any any advances on on those cases because they're just at a, a standstill. And before the shutdown, there was already a backlog of about 800,000 cases. And now, you know, 19 days, you know, with every day that goes on, those are just more cases that are not Wait, getting... 800,000? 800, or, sorry, Yes, 800,000 cases. Really? It's, it's a massive backlog of cases. Um, an immigration lawyer I talked to said um, that it would, it's closer to 1 million cases if you count the cases that um, the attorney general wants to put back on the docket. Of They'll never immigrant. get through those. No, never. And so, you know, immigration judges are working overtime. There's not enough of them. You know, every immigration attorney I speak to is working hundreds of cases. They're, they're working late. And now they can't really get anything done on their um, cases because they're just at a standstill. Um, you know, another immigration lawyer I talked to said they had um, a client who um, was supposed to be in court on January 3rd. And that, you know, that meeting with the judge was supposed to sort of resolve a couple of issues and set in motion, you know, a plan to go forward. And now, you know, that's, she doesn't know what's going to happen to that client. And, 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 th- those people aren't going to be pushed to the next state. They're going to have to be pushed to the back of the line, is what a lot of immigration experts and attorneys have told me. Is like they're not there's there's too many cases to like fit them in. Some cases might have to be bumped up, but the majority of cases will have to be put to the back of the line, which means that people who have waited years for for their for their day in court um, are going to have to wait even more years. I think you know someone else told me that if I were to go into a court today before the shutdown and ask for, you know, a final hearing, I would have to wait until 2020. Um, so, you know, at the very at the very earliest, a lot of these people who had their cases within these 19 days are going to have to wait until probably 2020, 2021 to have so, their day in court. So what was already a bottled up mess yes. at the border is just made even worse mm-hmm. because of the Trump shutdown. Yeah. And and, right. and and like I said, a lot of these, are, these are you know, non-detained immigrants. So these are people who have been living in the country, you know, uh, and undocumented, but have been waiting patiently for the day in court to resolve a couple of issues. And and there are a number of things that can go wrong in these 19 days. You know, for example, if um if you're applying to to get a green card, you have to get a medical exam. The medical exam sp- expires after a year. So if that ex- expiration date comes within those 19 days, it's on to the you know claimant to go and get another medical exam. If you you know you have uh, things that expire, if your child. Um, turns 21, you can no longer claim them as a dependent, so you lose your claim entirely. So there are a lot of things that can happen in these 19, 20 days that can put a claimant in a really 
impossible position. And, you know, immigration attorneys tell us that it's really impossible to explain this to your clients being like the government is shut down because this happened while, you know, the shutdown happened. You know, you're going to have to go to the back of the line again. What states are particularly impacted? Well, we're talking southern border states. Yeah. So, I mean, so states in southern border like Arizona, where there's a lot of um, immigration court cases, um, uh, but there are immigration courts, you know, across the country. Um, There are immigration courts in Florida and Texas. um, But, you know, we had up at Think Progress a story that we targeted about seven states where um, Republican senators are vulnerable that year and sort of, you know, highlighted, you know, how many employees are furloughed in each of those states. So states like Arizona, states like uh, Colorado with Cory Gardner, um, Kentucky, because Mitch McConnell's up in 2020, Mm -hmm. um, Uh, North Carolina. I've got the list here. Yeah. Uh, uh, Alaska, mm-hmm. Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, and North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, in those seven states alone, more than 45,000 federal employees mm-hmm. are furloughed or working without pay. Right. Uh, and in all of them, uh, you've got Republicans up for re-election yes. in 2020. Yeah, and, and we reached out to all their offices. We gave them all the information that we published, and we gave them about two days to get back to us and heard nothing. Um, so hmm. we just wanted, you know, to, to show them, be like, you have, you know, here are 7,000, you know, employees who work for the Department of Agriculture. Um, here are, you know, 300 employees that work for the Bureau of Prisons and just like sort of outline that in their state because I think a lot of people when they think of a government shutdown they think of federal employees here in DC but yeah, there are right. federal employees everywhere um, thousands of them and they're being affected by um, by the shutdown right yeah uh, and um, I was just looking in, in a couple of cases here so far uh, well at least in three mm-hmm. Alaska Lisa mm-hmm. Murkowski has yes. come out and said let's reopen the mm-hmm. government um, in Colorado, Colorado Cory Gardner mm-hmm. has said, Let's reopen the government yeah. while we continue to debate what we do about uh, the wall. And, of course, Susan Collins uh, of Maine, uh, actually four, and uh, Tom Tillis of mm-hmm. North Carolina. If you wonder why those four senators uh, <laughs> yeah. have now uh, broken with Mitch McConnell, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, Arizona, this Martha McSally uh, has uh, not yet. Now. Uh, Iowa. Uh, and Ernst. Yeah, mm-hmm. neither no. one. <laughs> uh, Grassy's not going to break with. No, and then I wouldn't con- hold your breath. Yeah, no. exactly. And then Kentucky, McConnell Mitch McConnell. Pollard. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, no, not the worst gonna- <laughs> of all. Right? Yeah, not going to happen there. Yeah, uh, but th- that's an important point. That, um, well, I two federal employees in my family, mm-hmm. um, a son in Cal- California, mm-hmm. a daughter-in-law in Oregon. Uh, and so federal employees are not just located in the yeah. federal agencies whose <clears throat> headquarters are in Washington, D.C. Right, yeah. They're all over the country. Yeah, and, and, and also, by the way, I think you're going to see a lot more stories coming out around the country because people had their Christmas break mm-hmm. and the news was yeah. sort of off for a couple of weeks and there were some people that weren't expected to necessarily be working. And but not as many people would show up at right. you know, parks or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. we're back. We're, we're pretty much back to business. And mm-hmm. this Friday is, as someone, as a couple of people pointed out, would be the first paycheck of the right. new year. That's true. Right. Yeah, and, and, and there are a lot of um, – I, I spoke with a federal employee who worked for NASA who has a two-year-old child, and they can't they don't have child care anymore because they relied on the NASA facility to, mm. to uh, for their child care. There are a lot of, you know, things you don't really think about when you think about um, a government shutdown and how it affects so many lives. You know, you see a lot – especially with TSA, those agents are – a lot of the agents are, are, are working, you know, without pay. I think I saw a reporter tweet out um, – 
if they should take out their laptop out of the case and the uh, TSA agent was like, I don't care. I'm not getting paid for that. I'm not getting paid. <laughs> and and a lot of them are, are, are quitting. You see, I think in LaGuardia, there's sick days. A lot of people are not showing up to work because why would you show up to work if you're not getting paid? Um, and uh, it's 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 rough. It's affecting so many lives. And I think um, it's we're going to see how it affects SNAP and other uh, programs. I believe they extended it until funding through February, I believe. Um, but after February millions and millions of people would be affected by that. Uh, so uh, it, every once in a while, as part of this um, uh, discussion about how we end the shutdown, although I, I, I believe Democrats have put forth a plan um, that's the best plan mm-hmm. to end the shutdown by yeah. just reopening the government except for depart- full-time. Yeah. So if government homeland security, reopen that too, mm-hmm. but only for 30 days. Yeah. Maybe they could extend it, right. but debate the wall while gov- and l- allowing government to, sh- to, to reopen. As Lisa Murkowski, senator yesterday, said, we can walk and chew gum at the mm-hmm. same time. It's not an, doesn't have to be an either-or yeah. choice. Um, at, at the same time, as, as one idea keeps coming up, which is, well, let's throw the dreamers into the mix yeah. and let's trade. We'll give you mm-hmm. the dreamers if you give us a wall. Right. Yeah. Is that deal... Should I mean, it be made, and is it going anywhere? I I, I doubt it would go anywhere. Um, you know, the, and and I, I, I it's because the reason why it, when it was put forward, you know, Fox News and Rush Limbaugh and all those like right wing talking, uh, you know, right wing talking heads were were like, no, it's that's that's amnesty deal. We're not going to do an amnesty deal. And I so think I think that would that would never get signed by 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 Trump. And I'm not entirely sure what the the DACA or the Dreamer bill would look like. I think it it wouldn't give them. Um, permanent residency. I think it would just uh, extend work visas. I don't think it's it would be a full dreamer uh, bill sort of situation. But I think you know the same thing that happened a couple of weeks ago or months ago. I don't even remember time wise. Um, you know when uh, that was proposed or you know being floated around. A lot of people well, on the right. Lindsey Graham was floating it last week. Yeah, yeah, but but I think but I think you know the president watches a bunch of Fox News, watches a bunch of you know right wing you know media people, and I think they would immediately they jump would on not that. go for it. No, they, and they haven't in the past. They called it like an amnesty bill, or any time that he's considered that, they call him amnesty Trump or whatever. They they do not like that. They do not want to help the dreamers at all. And I think if if he were if the president were, gonna, were going to compromise, I think it would be eventually on something like what you said, something about like the two billion for, you know, homeland security or whatever, um, or or even just you know reopening the government but keeping homeland security uh, uh, cl- or open for thirty days so they can debate the wall. I think he's eventually going to cave. Maybe I don't know. If anything, I think the stories of federal employees that have been furloughed might get to him. I mean, you know, like we said, he didn't. He didn't want to do this address. Uh, New York Times reported that it was mainly his aides uh, who really were pushing for this. I think he kind of knows that this is kind of pointless at this point. It's just the White House and his aides are kind of really honing in on this because it was a major campaign promise and he has done nothing about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to blame it entirely on his aides, though. I mean, I no. think I yeah. mean, he's, 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 he's determined yeah, I on think, this wall. I think a, he, a part of him, he feels... Like he failed in a lot of points because that was like the, one of his biggest campaign talking points. And like two years into his presidency, it doesn't exist. It, there's there is no wall that uh, that he likes. There are, there are walls, but there are there isn't you know his imagined giant steel wall that he wants along the border. Um, so which, which which he sees, I believe, as a monument to himself. Right. I yeah. Mean, this is the equivalent of Trump Tower on yeah. Fifth Avenue in yeah. Manhattan with the 
the golden Trump painted on the top of it. You know, yeah, and that, I think that that's he how he wants to leave and have this wall, like the Wall of China, that for decades, yeah. if not centuries, people will be touring Trump's wall on the southern border yeah. and saying, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, I mean, he builds buildings. Leader. I think a lot of the a lot of time, I think he equivocates, you know, success with building physical buildings. <laughs> In a lot of ways, the wall is, you know, a Trump Trump property. It's it's another property on his like list of of, of buildings that he owns. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. It was it it went from I mean, it's been at once a a concrete wall, a solar wall, mm-hmm. um a, a wall, a, 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 a transparent wall you can yeah. see through. Mm-hmm. I mean, on and on, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and various heights and everything. <coughs> well, Rebecca, um, keeps you busy for sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for of coming course. in today. Thank you. Uh, at Think Progress, you'll find Rebecca, thinkprogress.org. Uh, and uh, what's the reaction in Congress to this? Plus, uh, how exciting all these new members. We'll talk about all of that with Congressman Dan Kildee from Michigan joining us next here on the Bill Press Show. Give us a quick break. Got some news at the top of the hour. Back with Congressman Dan Kildee. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump got his wall. He built a wall of lies, and that's what we heard last night. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Wednesday, January 9. Good to have you with us today as we join you, as always, from uh, our little perch right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, uh, where uh, today the president and the vice president are going to travel up from uh, the White House uh, to try to hold on to these congressional Democrats who are starting to slip away. Uh, One more senator, Senator Lisa Murkowski from Alaska yesterday, saying, let's stop the games, let's reopen the government and we'll debate the wall in the meantime, but get the government running again. She's the fourth Republican senator to make that statement, and there are several members of the Republican members of the House who have as well. Bring us date, to date on everything that's going on down the street from us, Congressman Dan Gildee from Michigan. Congressman, good to see you. Happy New Year. Yeah, same to you. Good to be back. First of many visits it's, here for the new year. Yeah, it's a better year so far. Uh, it's a damn good year right. so far, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be fair. We're only a couple days into it. We're just just over a week. That's, That's a true. new day in Congress. New That's day. true. That yeah. is true. Definitely a new day. I mean, obviously, the moment we're in with this oh, shutdown yeah, is extraordinarily troubling. But we have an opportunity to do uh, some important work now. And we won't have the obstructionists on the Republican side who essentially, I mean, honestly, one of the problems we've had, they have given over their... Uh, 
entire authority to the president of the United yeah. States. Yeah, and they may so, as well not even show up. It's, it's it makes sense that the president and vice president are coming to the Capitol. Yeah, because they work for him. They've made it very clear they work for him. Right. He is the Republican leader of the Senate. Mitch McConnell is not. So Congressman Dan Kildee with us and all of you as well. And we look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day, starting with the speech last night and the response by Democratic leaders Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. These are the big stories, Congressman, oh, you can't miss. You know, big you know. news. Yeah, you don't want to miss these stories. <laughs> Let's first of all go to Las Vegas. Yes, because the CES, I love Vegas. Well, you and I disagree on that. But okay. but there is a huge convention going on out As in Las always, Vegas. always, right? in Las yes. Vegas. Right? In Vegas, Yeah, yeah believe it or not, <laughs> it's the CES convention where companies debut all the latest technology. Uh, electronics. And there right, are yeah. all oh. kinds of electronics out there. I saw somebody had video of a machine that folds your laundry for you uh, that you could get out there. But one of the big things that they've unveiled already is Samsung unveiled their new TVs that they promise will have 8K level picture quality. Now you see everybody talking about 4K picture. They don't even have 8K technology yet, but Samsung apparently promises that their new TVs will have it. And not only that, you can get the TVs in a 65 inch a 75-inch, an 82-inch, an 85-inch, oh. and a 98-inch oh, TV. God. Oh, More is... lifelike than life itself. That's <laughs> yeah. an you eight know? foot First one's long. free, Bill. You yeah. can use that. <laughs> <laughs> can you, I mean, no. that, that's horrifying to think about. First of all, I don't even know if anybody has a room that big to fit an eight-foot-long television. String them, a few of them together, you got yourself a wall. <laughs> you know what? You have a house. Yeah. We could build a wall out of these TVs. That's a really good point, Congress. I didn't even think about that. Those are ideas we're not thinking of. All right, let's go down to Florida because uh, if we're talking Florida, we're talking crazy news stories. A man I'd got, go to Vegas. But okay. A man got into a drunken fight because he went into a restaurant. He ordered a Philly cheesesteak, and they served him the Philly cheesesteak. On a sesame seed bun. Oh. You no. know, damn it, some things are worth fighting for. And this was one of them. He did not stand for this. He actually got into a physical altercation with the server, the man that served him the sandwich. Uh, he was arrested hmm. and charged with battery. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Ar- Arlen Specter would roll in his grave. No sesame if you seed buns him. on the Philly uh, cheese uh, thing. No, not at all. And you also have to have the cheese whip. That's right. That's the whiz. No not Swiss whiz. cheese. That's right. No, no Swiss no. cheese. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. Yep, we got just what we expected out of Donald Trump last night. Nine minutes of lies, of blaming Democrats, and spreading fear. Hello, everybody. On a Wednesday, January 9, here we go, the Bill Press Show. Booming out to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and joining you online on nationwide on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Don't forget to sign up for our podcast at billpressshow.com. We're joining on the radio out in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area on WCPT and coast to coast as well on television on the one and only progressive channel in the country, Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV network. Uh, And we welcome to the studio our good friend from Michigan's 5th Congressional District, 
Congressman Dan Kildee, Congressman, it's always good to see you. Welcome back. Thanks, Bill. Um, you watched your take on the speech last night. Nothing new other than the fact that the President of the United States used uh, the Oval Office, a moment often reserved by presidents, always reserved by presidents, for very serious challenges that we face. Um, he used it for basically an infomercial for Trump-Pence 2020. <laughs> and it was kind of a pathetic use of of an, another example of, of his sort of pathetic use of this high office that he's been elected to. It was interesting that the networks gave him time for this, knowing, you know Donald Trump, you knew it was going to be a political speech, right. and you knew it was going to be full of lies. Right. Oh, that that now, it, it's only a matter of sort of counting them anymore. I mean, I was reading the morning papers. Most of the, of the, of the, uh, <laughs> of the reporting is dedicated to fact checking fact checking yeah. and it's and it's like we got to hire more people to do the fact checking it's it's uh you know the new york times editorial page got it right this morning there is a crisis it's in the oval office mm-hmm. yeah uh and and the more the sooner we all recognize that the sooner democrats and republicans recognize that and truly put country first uh the better off we're going to be so um i was on cnn international last night and um, person I was almost said, you know, that Donald Trump, the purpose was to convince the American people why we need this wall. I, I mean, I think the real purpose was to convince some Democrats to break and vote for his wall, right? right? Um, and maybe convince them, uh, Republicans to hang in there with him, right? Right? Did he change any Democratic votes last night? I can't imagine. Uh, For two reasons. One, it's the same argument he's been using. I think the problem now, though, is is that it's becoming pathological the extent to which he's willing to fabricate facts to support an argument that can't stand on its own merits as it is. And so I think he further undermines his arguments because, you know, just the, the statistics that he cites, the conflation of the terrible scourge of drug addiction in this country and the need for border security, we know where the drugs are coming from. Mm-hmm. They're coming through border checkpoints. Right. And fentanyl is coming through the mail from China, uh, among other sources. But to conflate the need for this wall, which is really simply a vanity wall to keep a promise that was chanted during his campaign rallies, with really serious problems that he otherwise chooses to ignore is pre- is a pretty cynical use of the power of that office. Let me uh, just l- let's listen to one that we've talked about here, where the president last night uh, talked about who asked for the wall, and who asked for a wall of steel. It's hard to sort out all the lies, but th- 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 this one is uh, uh, pretty blatant. Law enforcement professionals have requested five point seven billion dollars for a physical barrier. At the request of Democrats, it will be a steel barrier rather than a concrete wall. This barrier is absolutely critical to border security. So I didn't ask for this wall. Law enforcement asked me for this to get this $5.7 billion for the wall. And I wanted to build it a concrete, but Democrats asked me to build a steel wall. It, it's just <laughs> idiotic, honestly. I mean, I saw that and I thought, to myself, okay, someone's got to just reel them in here. Please, some Republican, for God's sake, 
stand up because we we're expected uh, obviously to uh, to express ourselves mm-hmm. in opposition to the president. Actually, when I agree with him, I'm not afraid to do that either. Someone's got to uh, someone's got to step up and, and just say, "Look, the emperor's got no clothes. This is not going to work." And and you know, and here's the thing: there are lots of ways for us to assert ourselves. There are lots of ways to reign in the authority of the president that comes short of the thing that a lot of people don't like to talk about, and that's the potential right. use of our authority under the Constitution to remove him. Just doing our job, just simply doing the job that the framers anticipated, being a an honest check on his authority, like, for example, by sending legislation to him that would open the government. I know that there are two-thirds of the Senate and two-thirds of the House that believe that we should open government and let this uh, debate over border security continue through the normal process. I know that for a fact. If we sent him legislation with that kind of a vote, his signature would not be required in order for it to become law and for the government to open up. That's what the framers expected of us. That's why they wrote it the way they did. We should just do that, do our jobs. Well, you know that will happen in the House, right? Well, it'll gets, happen in the House. We don't know what the margin will be in the right, House. Right. We don't know how okay. many Republicans will be courageous enough to to uh, to work to basically vote against the president. The number that I saw is you need fifty-five. Is that right? Yeah, and I know there there's at least fifty-five that feel that way, and there will right. be some that will vote with us for sure. Uh, but who knows how but many? But you could get the bill passed in the House. Here we get here we get back to something you and I were just talking about at the top of the hour. Is that the problem is in the Senate, Mitch McConnell? Uh, has totally abdicated his position to the president of the United States, yeah, saying, and not, I won't even ask for, allow a vote, right. right? He's abdicated not only his role as uh, Senate Majority Leader, but as a United States senator. He has essentially abdicated the authority that his constituents vested in him by saying, I will not exercise my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. I will not exercise what I think is in the interest of the country. I will take directives from Donald Trump I mean, it's bad enough to think that a member of the Senate or a Senate leader would take directives from any president, but to somehow decide that suddenly in this moment, the best person with the clearest thought and the (laughs) greatest logic, the most brilliant person on earth that he can then sort of hand over his responsibilities to is Donald Trump. Give me a break. Yeah. And this is the man, Mitch McConnell, who um, as recently as... 10 days ago, maybe, was saying, we don't want to shut down. Shutting out's not good. You know, we'll do anything we can to avoid yeah. a shutdown. No. Yeah. I mean, he was Mr. No Shutdown. Just do what you were going to do three weeks ago, and we're fine. We can, we can you know, get back to governing in a way that, that makes more sense. One thing I believe that sort of got lost last night, although uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi tried to, I think, bring it back to this point, is that this whole debate about the border is taking place in the middle of day 19 now of a government shutdown, which is, I mean, tell us about how that's impacting your district or federal employees that you know. I mean, thousands of people in my home state are going without paychecks. The uncertainty that that introduces not only into their lives, which are serious and meaningful. These are people who have families that they need to take care of. And a lot of them live from paycheck to paycheck. Live from paycheck to paycheck. And then the services that my constituents cannot access because those folks are not on the job, um, that creates a, a lot of pain and, and, and difficulty. And it also, I think even in a bigger sense, introduces even greater uncertainty uh, in the U.S. economy 
that has a negative consequence. So between disrupting uh, confidence in the domestic conditions here in the U.S., and then all the chaos that he's creating with inconsistent and really incomprehensible foreign policy, uh, the uncertainty has a consequence. That is, that's not good for this country. It's not good for us in the long term at all. And he has said yesterday uh, he's willing to continue, see the shutdown continue for months. Uh, he doesn't, I don't know that he understands, first of all, I don't know that he understands much about the job that he has, but I don't think he cares, even if he did. I don't think he believes that the work that these uh, important public servants do is meaningful or the support or the services that constituents receive, that American citizens receive from its government are important. So I, I don't think he, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect him. Um, everything at Mar-a-Lago seems to be going just swimmingly. Yeah, And right. as long as, as, long as, as, as his life isn't disrupted, this is a person who is among the most self-centered people that I've ever been aware of, not just in politics, just in life generally. Yeah. Oh uh, no, it is all about everything. It's all about him, him, him. Frightening. And and in fact, you know, that's one. But um, speculate that one of the reasons that he agreed to give this speech last night because it was a way of they convinced him sure. this is a way of making sure you are the centerpiece here, right? right. You are the center of attention. But um, think about the moments where presidents have gone to the Oval Office to address oh, the yeah. country. Yeah. When uh, Bin Laden was finally killed, President Obama went to the Oval Office. The Cuban Missile um, Crisis. Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, George W. Bush after 9-11. I mean... Uh, Ronald Reagan after uh, the Challenger. Right. These are yeah. These are moments that should be reserved um, as, as an inflection point for the American people, not as an advertisement. And sadly, this president failed again. Um, we talked about Mitch McConnell earlier. Mitch McConnell yesterday repeating something that the president also said in his speech last night where um, we could solve this whole thing in uh, just a couple of minutes, but the president saying, we have Mitch or President, either one, uh, blaming it all on the shutdown on For Democrats. 18 days into the partial government shutdown caused by Democrat total unwillingness to negotiate with the White House over border security. That's, it's your is fault. Is that what the problem is? It's your fault, Congressman. You just refuse to negotiate with the White House, yeah, you that's... Democrats. Is that what Donald Trump said? If Democrats don't negotiate with me, then the government will have to shut down? I don't remember him saying I that. I think it was more, if I don't get my way, yep. the government will be shut down. That sounds more familiar. And, you know, and Mitch, of all people, to make this claim after doing a 180-degree reversal on a position that he held pretty firmly, that we shouldn't shut the government down over an issue that's unsettled. We have to, you know, uh, let's let's get these appropriations bills to the president's desk, get them signed, yeah. and then we'll continue to argue. And, in fact, having that one bill pass the Senate before Christmas, right? Right. Which Nancy Pelosi and you, you of all Democrats in the House, have sent back to them right. almost word for word. Right. So they, they passed it over there, came over when the Republicans were in control. We sent it back with this ridiculous wall funding, um, as soon as we took over, we took up the very bill that the Senate had passed for us, that, that Mitch McConnell ushered through the Senate on, yeah. what was the vote again? 100 to zero. <laughs> yes, yes. We sent it back to him. Every single senator voted for it. We sent it back to them, and all of a sudden, there's a 
change of heart. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just it's just just nonsense. All why imp- why play into um, Donald Trump's I don't know what you'd call it, his sociopathic tendencies. Why do that? I mean, is McConnell that worried about getting reelected in Kentucky? You know, I don't know if he is. I I have to admit, anybody who's worried about getting reelected is worried about the wrong things right now. We're at that kind of a moment in this country. Uh, We ought to be worrying about much bigger things than what our primary occupation as individuals is going to be come uh, January away. Uh, This is really dangerous. That goes for both parties, by the way. You know, there were some sort of controversial votes around Brett Kavanaugh, right? And there are some... Democratic politicians yeah. that they they seem to think that that's one of the reasons why they might have lost re-election. Heidi Heitkamp, I think, is the best example. Yeah. She voted against Brett Kavanaugh, and she lost her re-election. And it was one of those things that, like, that vote was more important than politics. For that sure. was more important than anything else. And that's a, I think that's a good lesson. Yeah. If you're not willing to take that vote yeah. that might cost you your seat, you're in the wrong business. What are you there 100%. for? You're in the wrong business. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Congressman Dan Kildee with us from Michigan's 5th Congressional District. You can follow him on Twitter at Rep. Dan Kildee. Uh, Congressman, when we look at the, all the pictures we've seen, and particularly at the at the swearing-in, when we look at the 116th Congress, particularly the House of Representatives, it's a different look. Man. It, it, it's beautiful. Uh, it really <laughs> is. It's great. I mean, yeah. for the first time ever, we have... You've got some new colleagues that are really rambunctious and colorful and yeah, and talented. Yeah, talented, and smart, super smart, yeah. courageous. And they even dance. They dance. Oh, for shame. <laughs> you know, I... Scandal. These, these, these guys, they're all guys, so I can say it that way. On the other side... Uh, Man, they need to figure out what what's going on in the world. I mean, they got to get out of the 1890s. And it's it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. it's pretty like, pathetic, is, the, is yeah, it? That it they is. get down to it they is. can't figure out how they're going to attack. In this case, uh, AOC, right? So, oh, they found a video of her dancing on the rooftop. Right? Yeah. What is this? Footloose? Oh my God. All of a sudden, <laughs> losing our minds because someone and by, like you know, I I I was saying to somebody yesterday, I saw the headline that you know she was dancing. I thought to myself, oh no, this is going to be terrible. And, and then I saw the video. It's like, oh no, no, she's literally just dancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I know. I, 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 I heard about friends. it. And I, I I couldn't figure out what the issue was. <laughs> so and then there's my colleague from Michigan, Rashida Tlaib. Who yes, you know? Yes. Who expressed herself in, in very colorful <laughs> ways? To see the, rep- I mean, and I, I told Rashida, look, I thought that this is not helpful, and she acknowledged that. You know, she's but you know what? It's a moment. It, it, right. She used yeah. the vernacular, right? Yeah. But to hear the Republicans, oh my God, you'd think she'd set fire to the White House. Number one. Secondly, <laughs> right. these are the very same people. Mm-hmm. And are, it was it was Alexandria who pointed this out in a tweet. These are the very same people that said that when the president was talking about sexually assaulting Grabbing women, women by their private and parts. bragging right. about it. Bragging, That yes. it was just, oh, it's just locker, locker room, room talk. talk. Yeah. But, she, but, but, but they're, they're, they can forgive that. A sexual assault committed by a person. And suddenly that's locker room talk. But using a term uh, to describe somebody that you have disdain for, which happens to be a colorful term, all of a sudden 
you know, is tantamount to heresy. Wait, so Republicans are creating a code of conduct that they expect everybody to um, live by except, except for themselves. Yeah, except right. for themselves. Yeah, okay, yeah. right. I just want to be Certainly clear. Except yeah. for their exalted leader. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. yeah <laughs> right. Right. But so in terms of getting things done, um, clearly, if you look at the collectively, and it's a, it's a broad brush, I admit, but the, the, the fresh, freshman class seems to be a class that they're not going to wait in line. They're not going to wait right. a couple of years before they're going to make themselves heard. They're going to speak out on the issues. They're going to push some ideas of their own. That's good. Right? Uh, I was going to say, is this going to, is this, do you think, a positive positive thing? I think, I think it's, it's a very positive thing. Yeah. Because I think for, for even even for some members who might not be as animated or energized or progressive, they give us the space to get to yes on a lot of issues. They give us sort of this momentum. They want to come in and get things done. They want to, you know, forget the things that we say we can't do because they're too hard. They say, let's just try. Mm-hmm. Let's just give it a shot. Let's deal with health care. You know, let's deal with, you know, all th- these really big questions that we face. Uh, there's a reason, and again, I sometimes, after having been here for a while, I default to this all the time. The framers... I don't know even if they understood their own brilliance, but there's a reason that the House is renewed every two years with a whole group of new people who come in with new ideas. I came in in 2012 with the, with 50-some Democrats, um, a lot of great folks in that class. This bunch, this is a great class of new members. Uh, it works. And and I, I draw a lot of energy. I, I say this like I've been around forever. I'm only in my seventh year. But I draw a lot of energy from the new members that are coming in. This is this is a remarkable group of people. Yeah, and you you got to admit that some of their ideas um, may not work out, right? Some of them may not be the best ideas, but um, they're 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 certainly stirring things up. Yeah, and I think it's great. It I is. love it. I love it. Right. I mean, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez on the the income tax, seventy percent. Right. Wasn't that long ago that. When John Kennedy was president yeah, and they right. ushered in uh, tax reform, the, the top rate was 90%. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, of course, they want to always mischaracterize what she's talking about. It's not a 70% rate on the first dollar. It would be the 70% rate on those top dollars that, are, that high earners make. I'm not suggesting that's where we ought to go. But as I said, having those ideas sort of brought into the conversation perhaps gives us some space to get to where we really need to be, and that is to get a tax system that more fairly distributes the obligations to support uh, all the benefits that our society delivers. Right. We don't have that now. Uh, you know, the phrase, I keep thinking of the phrase herding cats, right? Which is, yeah. Boy, that's my that's, job. Well, uh, that's certainly <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's job yes, right now, that's isn't that's right. <laughs> well, I'm now uh, Chief Deputy Whip, so Whoa. the way we operationalize oh, oh, that, yes. yeah. It's great. <laughs> I love my colleagues, but get and, and I will say this: it's a harder job to get to yes than to get people to no, because you only need one reason to vote no. Mm-hmm. To get to yes, you have to be able to get through lots of different points of view, and this is one of the reasons that I supported Nancy for speaker. Her knowledge of the subject matter, her knowledge of the process, and her toughness—not only to be tough with Donald Trump but occasionally to deliver hard news for our own colleagues in the caucus to hear that, look, we know where we want to go, but this is how we can actually get something done. To be able to deliver that message to some of us 
is it's a set of characteristics that we really need right now. Um, I go back to that Oval Office meeting before the holidays with uh, with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, where the president let the cameras in there and he just tried to right and yeah. and boy to me that was that really showed why you need Nancy Pelosi in the job. It was not the place for a rookie. Yeah, she told him in no uncertain terms, uh, "Don't underestimate the power that I bring into this room." Yeah, and yeah. that was he basically. She basically shut him down at that moment. Yeah, and, she, and you know what? You're right. Yeah. It would be really hard for just about any you other member it, of Congress other, to oh. go in there. I mean, name anybody right. else who who has ever challenged her before. They couldn't go in there and do that. No, mm-hmm. there's no way. No, no. And uh, you know, and she told him, "Look, uh, I'm here representing the United States Congress, which is." Just as powerful as you are. That's Under right. the Constitution, I am your co-equal, so don't try to, you know. Article 1. <laughs> right. uh, what, um, I know there's some big plans, big ideas. Um, the Congress is not just going to be people, oh, there are going to be all these investigations. But um, I know Nancy well, and I know you well. I know you've got some things that you want to get done. What, what What's a Democratic agenda going to look like, legislative agenda? I think a few things. One is clean up government. You know, we just introduced legislation that would increase transparency, empower voters, you know, essentially do some of the things that uh, I think would restore confidence that our democratic system can work. H.R. 1. H.R. 1, very first piece of legislation uh, that we drafted. I'm a co-sponsor of that bill. Um, that's one big piece. Um, Dealing with gun safety issues, we introduced legislation just on yesterday. Just, just yesterday. Had um, Congresswoman, former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords with us for that. Um, the, the common sense things that most Americans support, like universal background checks, we're going to get that done. But then there's some big uh, big pieces on the economy. I think we're going to deal with health care. I would expect to see a, a prescription drug bill mm-hmm. move through committees to the floor of the House. And then the big one for many of us, infrastructure. Uh, and I think with a special emphasis on America's older industrial cities where we have concentrated poverty, that those places are crumbling. It's like my hometown of Flint. I know something about what happens with uh, catastrophic yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, we all failure. saw that. Right. So I think that's a pretty bold agenda. And then obviously there's a lot that will go into uh, the appropriations bills. Climate change too. Nancy climate change for sure. Right. There, there will be a yeah. select committee. Uh, on climate change. Uh, Congresswoman Kathy Castor from Florida is going to chair that. She's a great member, um, understands the science. Um, so, you know, this is this is a chance for us to, to to translate what the American people are asking for into policy that improves their lives. That's what we're here for. Right. And, you know, uh, uh, people have um, expressed doubt that any of those could pass the Senate, but, you know, who knows, right? I mean, <laughs> And, you know, our, our job isn't to try to, uh, to only think through what the Senate's willing to do, but to challenge them, to put legislation uh, on the floor of the House, send it over to the Senate, and, and, and essentially have them have to answer as to why they wouldn't take it up. Mm-hmm. And then if they won't take it up, you know, there's an election that occurs every two years. Right. Maybe we'll get a Senate that will. Right. And with their eye on that election coming up in two years, maybe some senators may find some things that they, that, that they want to get a sc- little scorecard going sure. too, right? Yeah. That they can point to something accomplished other than a tax cut bill for the wealthiest right. of Americans. You know, um, here's an idea um, about infrastructure. Maybe we could get, maybe it would help, but we could get the White House to uh, hold an infrastructure week. 
Huh. <laughs> yeah. How'd that work out? <laughs> it's still going on. I don't know what you're talking about. It's still happening. How are you spelling week? By, <laughs> by our last count, there were diff- three different times that they announced an infrastructure week. I think it's W-E-A-K. Yeah. yeah. He's infrastructure week. <laughs> Well, it's so great to see you, Congressman. Yeah, and good to be it's, here. It's very, very, very exciting time. Sadly, we start off on this shutdown yeah. note and the border thing, but um, we'll get through this, and we'll we'll get on to the big business of the that the American people want us to. Take all right, on. carry on. We'll let you get back to work, Congressman Dan Kildee. Thank you, Adam Wallner from McClatchy joins us next to take a look at the at the emerging field for 2020. <clears throat> it's a long list. It is. Good to see you, Congressman. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. Quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Day 19 of the Trump shutdown. Hello, everybody. On Wednesday, January 9, and no end in sight because Donald Trump insists the shutdown will continue until he gets his wall. It's the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. Bringing you up to date on all the news of the day is a little breaking news, which is Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein has announced today uh, that he will be leaving the government as soon as the new attorney general, Mr. Whitaker, uh, is confirmed, if and when he is confirmed. Rosenstein saying he will step down. Um, not unexpected news, I'd have to say. Uh, Donald Trump wanted to fire him, threatened to fire him several times. Rosenstein clearly is not uh, uh, comfortable, <laughs> I think, in that position. Remember the time he went to the White House with his resignation in hand, figuring that's what it was all about, and he ended up staying on the job. Uh, and I think he's just said, um, it's not my place, not my crowd. Uh, I want to get out of here. I'll stay until there's a, actually a new attorney general, and then I am gone. Meanwhile, with other big news of the day, Tom Steyer is in Iowa today. Hmm. Why would Tom Steyer be going to Iowa 2020, my friends, is underway, as we know, and Adam Walner is McClatchy News 2020 guy yeah. and joins us in studio. Adam, it's good to see you. Hey, you too, Bill. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. So um, John F. Kennedy, elected president of the United States in 19, November 1960, announced on January the 2nd, 1960. <laughs> yeah. Why are we starting so early? Well, Two years early, Adam. Well, yeah, I blame you. Yeah, well, is that yeah, yeah, I need something to do. I need something to keep me employed, you know. I can't I can't wait until till 2020. Um I mean, really, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you know, the Iowa caucuses really are only a year away. So when you think of it that way, you know, it's it's actually not 2 years early, it's only 1 year early, but uh, That's still a year right? away. But on the Democratic side, it, things are just so wide open right now, and I think that's why it's starting so early. That's why you saw Elizabeth Warren get in she, on New Year's Eve. She couldn't even wait until the calendar turned to 2019. For her to get into the race. Things are just so wide open on the Democratic side right now. And there's so many potential candidates looking at running. Uh, and, and why not when, when there isn't a clear front runner? Everyone thinks that they, they might have a chance here. And uh, you, you might as well test the waters this early and, and see see what you can do. Uh, I don't know about you, but I my count, uh, I did a column on this uh, uh, for Chicago Tribune last week, uh, counting up all the current senators, former mm-hmm. senators, Current governors, former governors, current members of Congress, wealthy business people, mayors, whatever. mayors, even mayors, yeah. a few mayors. 
my my count was 32. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that sounds about right. That and, did not yeah. count Oprah, did not sure. count Hillary, did not count Avenatti, who'd already dropped out, and did not count Mario Cuomo. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris Cuomo. Uh, Andrew no, Cuomo. Andrew. There we go. God damn Cuomo. <laughs> Look too many to of them. <laughs> uh, who had already dropped out, yeah. right? So of the of the remaining was still uh, 32. But you're right. Elizabeth Warren was the first one who came out of the box, so to speak, even before the new year began. Uh, Tom Steyer is expected to announce his plans today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah he He's in. You yeah, you know, you know, it's interesting that, you know, he kind of sent, you know, we knew he was going to be in Iowa today, but he only sent out this press release to reporters yesterday that he was going to be making some sort of announcement in Iowa today. So I, I would imagine that, you know, maybe he'll he'll give us a little bit of an, of an indication. You know, a lot of times what presidential candidates will do or is that they don't actually announce their their full-blown campaigns right away. Even Elizabeth Warren technically didn't do that on New Year's Eve, right? They A lot of times there's the first committee. step of the exploratory committee. So maybe we'll see something like that. From from Steyer today, you know, I, I I have no inside knowledge on that. That's just you know, judging by the way that these presidential campaigns have been announced the past few cycles, usually it's kind of a multi-step process. It's not just hey, I'm I'm running for president, let's do this. You know, usually there's you know, you're testing the waters a little bit still over the next few months to before you decide whether or not you're viable. But it looks like he's going to be in, right? I mean, you know, he's taken all the steps that that you would if you wanted to run for president. You know, he's been visiting the early states like Iowa, New Hampshire, yeah. uh, South Carolina, Nevada a lot over the past few years. He's been spending a lot of money in, in those states. Uh, he, he has a, a, a few different groups. So the one I think that's gotten the most attention over the past couple of years is his need to impeach group. And he's really been one of the leading voices for uh, impeaching President Trump. And that group is actually currently on on the air. They're running ads in all of those early states right now. So So he's making all the necessary moves. Um, but, but, you know, it, it's one thing to sort of to test the waters. You know, you have to really ultimately decide whether or not that there's going to be a path forward to the nomination. Uh, so he'll have to decide that over the next few months. But he certainly has, has the money <laughs> to, to, to be able to do this, which is, which is no uh, small first step. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, um, there were questions about her um, charisma, if you will, to use a, a, a hackneyed word, or <laughs> her ability to relate to crowds, uh, uh, her... I guess just campaign skills. She was in Iowa over the weekend. How'd she do? Uh, well, you know, I wasn't there myself, but just you know, judging by the, the the loads of press coverage that we got coming out of that weekend, it seems like she you know she went over pretty well. I had a, a three day swing through Iowa. I uh, did events throughout the state. It seems like she she was well received, and I think. You know, it's a little too early to decide for a lot of these candidates who haven't run for president before and haven't done these big national campaigns to say how they connect with people yet. Because we just don't know how Elizabeth Warren is going to connect with voters in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina. So that's what these next few months are going to be I talked to a a reporter friend of mine um, who was with her over the weekend Mm -hmm. uh, who said he was blown away by how good she was. That she did, she had a reputation for being a little, but maybe undeserved people who, by people who didn't know her as being mm-hmm. a little standoffish, uh, and that she was a, just dove right into the crowd, you know, stayed as long as anybody wanted to get a selfie. Uh, mentioned there were there was one location where there was an overflow crowd, too many more people that could, could than could get into the venue, and she began by going into the overflow room and talking to them and apologizing that there wasn't enough room mm-hmm. and doing selfies there and yeah. then went into the main venue. Uh, and um, he, he was, a, I talked to someone else who was there over the weekend too. Both of them made the, uh, the 
contrast with Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, interesting. You know, she would uh, come into the back door of an event uh, surrounded by security, do the, do her thing, and then leave out the back door. But with Elizabeth Warren, it was it was all one on one and and very effective. So yeah. Uh, and, and also, and, and one of the benefits of getting a lot for her, yeah. And one of the benefits of getting in early, she's able to, to make those connections really before anybody else. She basically had Iowa to herself, you know, last weekend. You know, there weren't really many other competing events for for people to go to. Uh, we only have a half an hour, so we'll never get to all thirty-two. <laughs> but one other who who keeps getting to the verge of announcing, and then it keeps getting delayed. Um, meanwhile, he's still out there on uh, making some noise, is Julian, Julian, Julian Castro, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I thought it was I thought it was going to announce last Saturday, because he has this, this big Saturday, thing yeah. in San Antonio now. Is it this Saturday? Yes, yeah, this Saturday okay. is when he's going right. to make his announcement. I mean, I was invited oh, okay. through a mass email, right, to join him and <laughs> yeah, his mother yeah. and his grandmother in San Antonio. Uh no doubt, he's jumping. Yeah, in, right? yeah. I, I think there, there's there's no question. E- even when uh, when both of the Castro brothers were on uh, Stephen Colbert a couple weeks ago, I think uh, his brother kind of <laughs> kind of scooped him on that and jumped the gun and saying, "Yeah, he, he's going to get in." Um, and yeah, yeah, you don't announce an exploratory committee and then announce a, a big uh, kickoff event in your home state and and, and not run. Uh, so yeah, you know, and with Castro, it's interesting because you know, yeah, what does he bring? I mean, well, first of all, he's former mayor, mm-hmm. uh, so he's got that executive experience, and former secretary of HUD. Right. Right. And, you know, yeah, you know, with someone like Castro, you know, certainly he was, um, you know, kind of a big item in, in, in 2016. And there was a lot of speculation that only Latino in the race. Yeah. And, so far. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation that he might be on the uh, uh, on Hillary Clinton's ticket as a VP the last time around. Uh, and now, you know, in in. Uh, in, in 2020, you know, I think it's going to be a, a slightly different ball game for him, where you know the field is much larger. There, are, it's going to be a much more diverse slate of candidates. You know, he's not going to be the only minority running in, in this race by by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, and when you're and when you're a cabinet member, sometimes you know you don't quite have the same platform or you know the same exposure that you do when you're a member of of the Senate. And of course, now he's uh, you know has been out of the administration now for for a couple of years. So I f- you know I, f- I think he's going to have to do have some work ahead of him to sort of reintroduce himself to people or maybe introduce himself to people for the f- to people for the first time who who haven't really heard of him before. Right, um, isn't it um, that all of these people and most of the thirty two, let's say, not all of them, um, but have pretty good credentials and uh, would probably be have a good run and make a good president even. But then there's Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And doesn't Joe Biden just eclipse all of them? You know, I, I think that's, you know, he's really the biggest question mark right now. And he, he's the biggest figure sort of looming over this uh, this field. Because, uh, yeah, you know, if Joe Biden gets in, I think that would um, more than any other potential candidate a lot of affect the, affect the decisions yeah, of, of other candidates who are thinking about running. You know, he would certainly uh, kind of in that, quote unquote, establishment wing be- become sort of the favorite. And if Biden gets in, then, you know, the race really becomes about do we go with sort of a safe and steady hand, sort of an elder statesman in Joe Biden? Uh, who we think uh, can sort of you know defeat Donald Trump and kind of have that message of all right let's kind of get back to normal here or you know do they go the route of we need to nominate someone who's more progressive really take advantage of of all this enthusiasm on the Democratic side right now and really you know go for some of these big bigger bolder ideas go with a younger fresh face uh, so really I think that's going to very quickly sort of split the the uh, you know which direction the the Democrats want to go to uh, into right away it's interesting that Biden. I mean, some of the talk about Joe Biden is almost like some of the talk about Hillary, that he's got so much experience, he's so good, you know, he's been around so long, how could anyone dare run against him? And there was a lot of that talk 
mm-hmm. you know, in 2016 or 2015 uh, about Hillary Clinton. And uh, we see what happened there, sure. right? Uh, I don't think there's going to be as much opposition to people running against Joe Biden as it was against no. people running against Hillary. No, Trump. not at all. Right. And I think for a lot of those, a I lot mean, of the other people that we sort of- He's going to have to accept the fact that he's going to have a lot of competition. Ab- absolutely. And I, I don't think his decision is going to affect a lot of the other people we may think of as sort of the top tier contenders, whether that's Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker. You know, I think they're going to run regardless. I think, you know, it, there's maybe some of those, uh, you know, lower tier candidates who might decide, oh, with someone like Biden in the race, that's going to suck up a lot of air. There's not going to be a lot of room for me. But but yeah, you know, even with Biden in the race, I mean, I still think we're going to see, you know, around a dozen, if not more candidates in this race. All right. And that some of that same thinking I hear around among progressives around Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. He's the guy that that brought the progressive agenda to the table in 2016. He got the huge crowds. He raised two hundred thirty eight million dollars. He is the leading progressive in the Senate today. Therefore, in terms of a progressive candidate, it's got to be Bernie. He ran before. He almost made it. It's got to be Bernie. Everybody else has got to get out of the way for Bernie Sanders. First of all, any doubt in your mind that Bernie's going to run? I, I think I, I have some doubt. You know, I think it's probably more likely than not. But Forget I, it. But, yeah. He's going to run. <laughs> all right. Well, there we go. I mean, I can't tell yeah. you that. I, sure. He, he hasn't told me that, but sure. boy, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, yeah, I think it's certainly more likely than not. Uh, but but the challenge for Bernie will be, you know, he was he was the lone, you know, progressive alternative to Hillary Clinton right. in 2016. There's going to be a lot. Uh, a, a, that lane is going to be a lot more crowded this time around. And um, and there's gonna be a lot of younger sort of fresher faces competing for that mantle. All right. Those who would compete in the progressive lane, if you will, I like the way you put it, mm-hmm. uh, against Bernie would be certainly Elizabeth Warren. For sure. Right. Uh, who else? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, it kind of depends on on how you want to, you know, classify some of these people. Yeah. And, and uh, well, you know, it's interesting that even some of the people that endorsed Bernie the last time around are, are giving giving this a look. You know, someone like Jeff Merkley in Oregon, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, and it's going to be interesting to see like how a certain, you know, whether Kamala Harris or Cory Booker sort of decide to frame themselves as progressives and compete for some of those Bernie voters, or do they maybe? appeal a little bit more to, to some of the center and, and try and frame themselves as an electable candidate. I think, uh, you, you know, certainly there's going to be a lot of uh, candidates in this race who hold a lot of liberal positions, but whether or not they kind of decide to, to, to you know, frame themselves in, in sort of the Bernie Sanders mold, I think will be really interesting going forward. Uh, the one you did not mention mm-hmm. that I see in that lane is Sherrod Brown. Yes. Yeah. That, I think that's another, he's going to be another interesting candidate. And, and he, you know, and he's someone too, I think that, you know, if Joe Biden gets in, uh, that could potentially complicate things for, for Sherry Brown. I see them as sort of having, um, you know, kind of framing themselves as we can win back some of the white working class voters in the Midwest who went for Trump in, in 2016. Uh, but Brown, you know, probably has e- e- some more progressive credentials even even than Biden would. Uh, I think he does. But in a sense, he's the younger Joe Biden mm-hmm. and he uh, the younger Bernie Sanders. I mean, the comment that I hear often is that he is just like Bernie Sanders, except not as grouchy. <laughs> uh, and you know he's gotten re- he's gotten elected in Ohio, right? Which is a key state and close to some other key states that Democrats need. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and and you look at at the way Ohio went in, in the in the midterms. You know, Brown was one of the actually the few success stories there for, for Democrats, and that that's actually a state that seems to be creeping maybe a little bit. Uh, you know, more to the right over the past few cycles, but Brown uh, still was able to win his reelection pretty easily there. Right. Uh, Going down the list, Kamala Harris, 
uh, has shut down her California campaign office. Mm-hmm. What's the significance of that? Uh, you, you know, I you know I saw that reported yesterday. I, I think, for, for me at least, I, I don't think there's much question that Kamala Harris is going to run for for president. So uh, she's shut down the state office because she wants yeah. to seek national. Office. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She just, also just doesn't has really a need new it. book out. I think as of yesterday or something, she's starting a book she's tour. Just, just all the things on the checklist. That oh she yeah, gotta do yeah, to yep. run. yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Yep, right. got the book. She's doing the, the rounds on on all the morning shows. So that this is, I think, this is kind of the, the kickstart of her. Um, sort of pre-campaign, at least. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some sort of announcement from her in the, in the next. Is there weeks. room for Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, and Kirsten Gillibrand, and Jeff Merkley? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I think at I mean, least Bernie's at, in a sort of a class of his own. Yeah, right, sure. Right. Yeah. Before. He. Yeah. He kind of has his people. Those from five 16. are, and there may be others. I know Chris Murphy from Connecticut mm-hmm. wants a little bit, make it a little bit of noise. But, yeah, you know, yeah, of but, those senators, I mean, certainly Harris and Booker have kind of been making the most noise and have been making the most contact in the early states. Um, I think that they're, they are definitely going to run, you know, Gillibrand, Klobuchar, you know, Merkley, whether or not they actually get in, you know, I'm, I'm less sure on that. Uh, but, but you're right. I mean, just, you know, if there are going to be, you know, so many of these senators running and they're all going to try and carve out their, their different lanes, but um, you know, <laughs> there's only only so much oxygen in, in the room. Uh, and, and I think uh, Harrison Booker certainly are, are already generating a lot of buzz from um, a lot of folks in the early states. It's going to be t- you know tough for other senators but, to, know, to overcome that. Look, a lot of these politicians, they they come with pretty heavy egos. Right. Mm-hmm. And all they know and all they've seen that would that would help them make the decision is Donald Trump is president and everybody Dismissed Donald Trump as a serious presidential mm-hmm, candidate. For sure, everybody dismissed him as a serious presidential candidate. So, look, I, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to draw a comparison between someone like Jeff Merkley and Donald Trump. But if I'm Jeff Merkley and people are saying you don't have a shot because you've got these heavy hitters out there and these big guns, well, Donald Trump was up against some heavy hitters and some big guns and some well-known people in the establishment republic in the establishment uh, of the Republican Party. And you know what it got him? It got him the presidency. Mm-hmm. So, like. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. Um, I think that um, both parties, I don't think, it's true. Both parties have had a lot of success running people who are not part of Washington. Part of the problem Mm -hmm. with this list that we've been talking about is they're all, you know, they they hang out six blocks from here at the United States Capitol, right? Right. Uh, And so both parties have looked to governors. Uh, and when you look at governors, uh, potential candidates for 2020 or mayors, there are a couple of mayors who are thinking mm-hmm. about it. Three that I can, Eric Garcetti, right. LA, Pete Buttigieg, um, South Bend, South Bend, yeah. right. And now former mayor or soon to be. And then Mitch mm-hmm. Landrew, former mayor of, of, uh, of New Orleans. That, that's a, that's a big hill to climb for a mayor. Yeah, even absolutely. A, even a mayor of L.A., right? Right. May, I guess we should add to that list former mayor Mike Bloomberg. Yep. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone's actually ever gone, you know, straight from, uh, you know, becoming a mayor to becoming a presidential nominee. But but again, you know, to, to the point that Peter was making earlier, you know, it, when things are so wide open and people saw what happened in 2016, you, you might as well test the waters. And because we are, it is still only January of 2019. There's a long, long ways to go here. So you might as well over these next few months, you know, try it out, you know, you know, go, go to some early states, start talking to people, see, see if you can turn this into something real. Uh, so the governors that I hear about are Jay Inslee from Washington, who's mm-hmm. a great guy, uh, John Hickenlooper from Colorado, and then what's it, Burke? Is it Burke or Burkett from uh, Montana? Uh, Bullock, Steve Bullock. Bullock, Bullock from mm-hmm. Montana. Yeah, whom I would know if he walked in here, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know nothing about him. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't tell you what he looks like, but I've, I've heard his name more and more. And again, why the hell not? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? But also. There are more cows than people in Montana, right? I mean, <laughs> right? So, yeah. what does he bring? Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think you know, for, for for the governors, I think the argument would be part of what you outlined. You know, having that out. You know, we need someone from outside Washington with executive experience. With executive experience, right? This is something governors ha- have run on. You know, for 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 a long time now, and uh, especially someone like Bullock. You know, running from the heartland again. Maybe, you know, sort of that argument of we need to bring back. You know, some of the the folks from the from the heartland and from the Midwest who went for for Trump the last time. I think you know that's their argument. Um, you know how how they would do in a primary? Can they win over you know the liberal part of the base? I'm not sure. Uh, nobody's sure yet. So that's why you know <laughs> that's yeah. why we'll be you know we'll be watching this campaign unfold for the next few months. All right. Now we've danced around uh, without mentioning the most exciting candidate of all, Beto. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm just saying that somewhat jocularly, but not but. At the same time, having just traveled all around the country the last couple of weeks, there's more buzz about Beto O'Rourke than anybody mm-hmm. else, justified or not. And and when you think about it, he's a one-term congressman who lost an election for the Senate. Mm-hmm. So what? Why are people so excited about his running for president? Well, it, because it, he's skateboards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I think that I think that's it. Uh, just just the way he electrified the Democratic base in in 2018, you know, was unlike you know, any other candidate we saw. He did end up losing. Uh, so, and I think that's why you know, at, at least right now, you know, Beto seems to be sort of you know, while everybody else is kind of maybe looking to get in sooner rather than later, he it looks seems like he's going to be taking his time. Uh, he, he's doing this solo uh, road trip right now without any staff or, or press or anything like that. Uh, as I've been talking to people in Iowa, New Hampshire, states like that, he really, you know, has he hasn't really been making any contacts there. There's no trips planned there, so he's doing this in sort of an unconventional way mm-hmm. right now. But his Senate campaign was also very unconventional. And you know, for someone like that, I think you know the thinking is you have to strike when the iron's hot. You know, people kind of think. You know, they look to Chris Christie, for instance. Did he miss his chance to run yes. in 2012? Some people even think that about Elizabeth Warren. Did she potentially miss her chance to run in 2016? So I think, also, yes. you know, <laughs> so even if you aren't, you know, even if you're not the traditional, he's a sitting senator, you know, sitting governor, uh, you know, maybe, you know, that bar is a little lowered right now and experience doesn't matter the way uh, we thought it used to. So, you know, why not? Why not give it a go? I, I was I, just looking for there was an article, maybe it's a Washington Post I saw this morning about Beto, as you point out. You know, he's just out there on his own, doing it in his own way, his own thing. One thing we learned last week here on the show um, from the, the bureau chief of the Texas Tribune. Uh, Abby Livingston. Abby mm-hmm. Livingston. That Beto is independently wealthy, thanks to his wife. Mm-hmm. So that he can, he doesn't have to worry about where his next paycheck is coming from. Right. right? He's got the luxury of running for the next two years. I feel obligated to point out if we want to talk about people who lost in the midterms who should be running for president, there should be there are two other people who lost 
who lost by smaller margins, Stacey Abrams Stacey and Andrew Abrams. Gillum, yes. Uh, yes. should absolutely consider running for president. Both yes. of them. Yes, by the same test. Yeah, right? sure. Right. And you know, uh, as crazy as it sounds, yes, one-term congressman, yes, lost uh, a Senate race. I could see that Beto O'Rourke could set the Democratic Party on fire and and become the next president of the United States. You know, he's got that kind of, he does have that kind of presence. Right. Seems, an appeal. Uh, and, um, you know, maybe that's what we need. Right. And yeah, and I think, yeah, that, that's sort of, you know, the, the experience. Joe Biden is his vice presidential nominee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Although, I, I, yeah, I don't know if the Democrats will have two two white guys on, on the ticket in, in, in no, 2020. I, I think you're pretty clear with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but but I do think yeah, experience just doesn't quite mean uh, what it used to. You know, whether that's because of Trump or just because of, of other factors. But I, I I don't think you know voters are excited by by Beto. I don't think they're going to discount him just because uh, you know he has limited experience in Washington. Uh, and let's not forget to mention Jerry Brown. Uh, I just came back from a little party with Jerry Brown, and uh, the thinking uh, Jerry's not necessarily running. But if there's a deadlocked convention. Mm. In 2020, then you know, they might give the call there to uh, the retired governor of California. He'd be ready to suit up anytime for sure. Uh, yeah, I find this very, very exciting. I love the fact there's so many Democrats thinking running is going to make for a great run. Uh, and Adam, you are going to enjoy it. Yeah, thanks absolutely. so much for coming in. Thanks. Follow Bill. Adam at McClatchy, McClatchyDC.com, and have a great Wednesday, folks. Come back and see us again tomorrow. You know, we'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.